welcome to another episode of Getting Hammered. I am your host, Mary Catherine Ham. We are your morning show for any hour. I am here as always with my buddy Vic Mattis of the Free Beacon. How are you doing, Vic? It's been a it's been a week for you. It, is, it has been a week. We are celebrating Vic. It is it is Vic Fest. <laughs> it is Vic Fest. It started on February 2, my actual birthday. Mm-hmm. And it is just continuing on. Yes. And it's been hard. It's asked a lot of you. It has asked a lot of me. So, you know. He says to the woman who has not had a full night of sleep in a month. Yes. Yeah, that's how I am. But that's from all the eating and drinking. (laughs) I do want to say this. and I apologize to our listeners if I sound a little stuffed up today. I don't know if it's cold. And I'm going to tell you this. I may have gotten it on Sunday morning because I was in Siberia. What am I talking about? Mm-hmm. What am I talking about? What are you talking so, about? Catherine, in the restaurant biz, there's always a section, they say, of the restaurant called Siberians, where they stick the undesirables or mm-hmm. people don't have connections or people they don't really care about. Or people don't matter. They'll put them in Siberia or people they don't like, stick them in Siberia. Managers will always insist that's not true, right? Tommy Giacomo at the Palm, may he rest in peace, used to say, oh, there's every, every, every table's a good table. Right. Say, right. And so- All of my podcast episodes are good, too. Right. <laughs> Right, that's right, that's right. Every single one of them. I love my children equally. I'm batting a thousand. Right. So, and in fact, the Palm had, it was the boots by the bar. That's technically Mm -hmm. the Siberia when you're there. And they would say, that's not true because you get to see, everybody gets to see you walking back and forth. The problem is everybody's walking back and forth, right? Mm -hmm. Most Siberias are near the bathroom. That happened to me at Rare, which is a steakhouse on I Street. And that's why I don't go there. I was there with a guest. My view was literally the toilet. Like the bathroom oh, no. with the door open. Oh, so you're no. just staring over the over this woman's shoulder is this toilet. And then people go in and out. And it's like, this is the worst table ever. So, Can I say yes. quickly before you go on that I was, Please. I do remember that once I was sitting in Siberia at the Palm with, <laughs> hold on, <laughs> with, with Jamie Weinstein and I oh, believe oh. Brent Cher yes. well, of if, the Free Beacon. So who was it? That put us in Siberia. Yeah. I believe it was not me. I uh, know. I know. I'm pretty sure. You know, I, I'm pretty sure they told Jamie that that's uh, that's the VIP seat. That's the VIP be- booth. You I know. just know I'm not taking the blame. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There is no Siberia. Okay. So anyway, we had breakfast after church. We had an early breakfast because it was so early. I said, let's just. We rarely go here. It's a little bit fancier. We went to Ted's Bulletin. Nice. You know, Ted's Bulletin in Boston. So we go there. My daughter loves you. Very excited. I said, well, I got to find parking, drop them off, and I'll find parking. So when I come in, the hostess had said, is this table fine? And Kate was like, oh, sure. The table is right when you walk in. So when the door opens, oh, you, get a blast time, of cold you get a blast of cold air. You get a blast of that Arctic blast, right? Yes. And crazy the way this restaurant is designed, right behind our booth is the hostess table. Oh. So it's like you have to walk a distance from the door to our table and where the hostess is sitting behind you doing all the work and talking and the phone's ringing and then you would have parties of four or parties of six standing there and at one time my like napkin blew off my lap because of the wind <laughs> and then and then there it's was a very a, Mary Poppins yes dining experience and I was in in such a state at one point I said this guy his his basically his butts in my face because they're standing right there you know I'm sitting and he's standing so you turn and it's right there. And I'm looking at them. And, you know, and Kate said, there is a family on the other side with a baby and the baby's not complaining. 
is what she said. I say, yeah, you know what? The baby doesn't have somebody's butt in their face. That's I what's mean, going babies on. don't have the faculty to complain. You know, they don't have the skill. They don't. And if they could, they said, this is unacceptable. They would say, this, this is, is intolerable. Ridiculous. ridiculous. Get me out of Siberia. So that's my rant done. <laughs> Vic Fest is almost over. <laughs> and how are you? I'm doing okay. I look forward to a fest when my birthday comes around. Let's see. I'm. Are you one of these, like, some people are like, I celebrate my birthday month. I feel like... Yes. Somebody told me that. I'm normally one night, one day. Okay. I, I Maybe am, a lunch. I am in for several days if the birthday falls on an inconvenient day, right? If the birthday's sure. on a Tuesday, mm-hmm. then you're allowed to celebrate Saturday through Tuesday, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Although, But I think birthday month is really overkill. And there are some birthday month people that I think that's a Gen Z, younger millennial thing. The, doing the whole yes. thing. Yes. Yes. No, because my daughter talks about this and trying to make it a thing because nice. their birthday's around Thanksgiving time. So it's like multiple locations and families. You know, the only, there's a couple, one of the reasons I like to do like, you know, maybe separate because I don't want to mix everybody together, you know, with family. It's just easy. No, you in-laws. Have, you, you have know, to silo your people or else you can't have different personalities no. and different levels of drunkenness at different, each event. That's exactly right. Different levels of drunkenness, personalities. Yep. And also, if it's too large a crowd... Other people are having their own conversation. I want to be in all the conversations. Obviously. This is the extrovert's dilemma. <laughs> right. Vic the, and I are both very popular, yeah, yeah. and we need to yeah. rule over yeah. every we, dinner party we that do. we go and, to. And not only is it like a fear of missing out at an event, but it's at the particular, each conversation at the event. I understand. I feel that. Yeah, like I don't even like to go to the bathroom. You know, there are some people who don't want to have any of those conversations. I know. I know. So no, strange you mean like, to me. You mean like normal people? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So I actually took my babies to a brunch this weekend, and they were both very well behaved, including the toddler, who is 15 months old and has no capacity for reason. Zero. That's impressive. However, we're starting the training early because you got to get them to the restaurant so that they know how to deal. We put her in the high chair. She is good for about 10, 15 minutes just with, like, the novelty of the restaurant. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she's good for another 15, 20 minutes when the food gets there. We just start tossing bread at her, just breadsticks and yeah. crusts and whatever we can yes. give her. Half of it ends up on the floor. And then, like, you know, another 10 well, minutes. The floor. Right. Another well. 10 minutes after that, she starts to get antsy, right? So you've got a pretty decent window here, mm-hmm. I think, for a 15-month-old. The baby was fine because they're easy. They're just little. When they're so small, they'll sleep through yeah, the white noise. they're, and they're, they're NBD. Fine. When they're a little bit older... Do you ever like sometimes you I place the order and in between the order and the food I will I would obviously don't do this now take the baby and walk around. Yes. I told yeah. Steve rejected this idea but she was tra- starting to climb out of her chair at the end of the she's athletic enough to get out of a high chair too which is yeah, problematic. Sure. And I said just let her take a lap like follow her. Normally at this is a family restaurant. Nobody's going to be offended by a mm-hmm. toddler looking cute and like mm-hmm. coming by and mm-hmm. you know toddling past the table. Right. He was he rejected that notion. He's like that's n- not okay with society. And I was like I feel like it is. Really? Eh, it depends. Anyway, she did fine. The baby did fine. We had a lovely brunch out. So, there you have so it. So what did what did the baby have? Mimosa or Bloody Mary? <laughs> we gave her mimosa. Okay. I was gonna, yeah, the orange juice little... really helps it go down. <laughs> that troll oh. toddler that I have also who has barely uttered the word mama and certainly won't do it on command or like directed yeah. at me. She says dog. She says dada. Oh. Now the D word, like the D sound is easy. easier. It's That's true. what they say, I think, just to make moms feel better. Very little mama. 
This morning I gave her a slice of cucumber and I swear that child attempted the word cucumber. And I was like, <laughs> really? really? She's like, Cuckoo. and I was like, awesome. Awesome. I'm glad you can say that. <laughs> do, do you, when she wants you, when she wants you, what does she say? It's only when she's being really needy and then she's like ma, ma. <laughs> like very dramatic <laughs> otherwise she's like i'm very independent i okay. don't i don't need you so there's man. a recognition she acknowledges you're like i this think is so you. but Just... it's so rare that it's un- <laughs> unclear anyway so she's doing good took the the new baby to the doctor the other day he is a 97th percentile for height uh, yeah, big, so steve big has big cool. plans and he texted me of course because my husband is also a troll well that's where the toddler gets it Starting quarterback for the University of Alabama, <laughs> Cal. Yeah, that's right. So, no, absolutely. Anyway, got big plans. Now, when you, when you go out with the kids, have you resorted to like technology to keep them busy? See, that's what I'm attempting not to. That's why yeah. I get to start them at 15 months. Good for you. And be like, look at look at the world around you. No, that's right. Look at the elderly people in the next booth. <laughs> look at yeah, the waiter. Something. Whatever it is. So we're we're attempting to train them up in the way that they should go. You will be thankful. Yeah. So, so that was what I had going on. Now we got to do we got to do balloon discourse. Let's Vic. do it. Let's get to the news. Speaking of which, I, I have a okay. This is one last parenting story about a balloon, though. <laughs> I once I when you have your first kid, sometimes you can set the expectations a little too high because mm-hmm. you're not clear on exactly mm-hmm. how much they're capable of and. When when my oldest was about three one time, I took her to a friend of the show, Kristen Soltis Anderson's oh, house, yeah. and she was misbehaving there, and she would not pull it together. Now, this was probably my fault because I probably had like neglected a nap or some kind of, I don't know, meal or something, yeah. and I should have had more patience with her. She had a balloon that she had gotten from a McDonald's earlier that morning. We go to Kristen's house. She does not behave, and I tell her, if you do not behave, we're going to have to leave, and she wouldn't behave, so we had to leave. And then I told her, if you don't behave while we're leaving, I'm going to pop your balloon. No. And she was like, didn't believe that. Well, and this is another thing about parenting. Once you've made the threat, you got to follow through. So we got in that car and I went, <laughs> Because she misbehaved on the way too? Yes. She's trying I, to call your bluff. And I took, I took that McDonald's balloon out decisively, quickly. Unlike the Chinese spy balloon that came. Nice. You know, I, I kind of regret it, actually. I've, I feel like I should have preserved the balloon. But anyway. That must have resulted in a complete meltdown. It did. She was like, I can't believe you. <laughs> but now she has to believe me when I Yeah, when you things. say it pops. And you know what? They value you know, those this balloons. Is a, this is a very. Uh, for some reason. This is actually a pertinent foreign policy discussion. She has to yeah. believe my yeah. threats now. That's right. That's right. You got to take it down. And you didn't wait till you got home. To I pop the balloon, no, I did it. and you and brought it I inside did it the dramatically. house dramatically. Like yeah. I took a pencil out of mm-hmm. my glove compartment. It was like, pop. you were you you were not even worried that pieces of the balloon might you know hit her. Nah, nah, I wasn't worried at all. <laughs> the opposite of our yes. our national reaction okay. to the Chinese spy balloon. All right, tell so me what you got, Vic. The, the last time we did this, Mary Catherine, our show, the balloon was not yet known. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, and it might have been the next day. Yes. That all of a sudden <laughs> the, the balloon drama started. Yes. Yeah, so, in other words, when we were doing the show, unbeknownst to us, it was already probably an airspace in the Aleutians. It was Canada. probably spying on us specifically. Already. Yes. It was exactly. getting an early version of the podcast. Has anyone considered 
the possibility that the Chinese are telling the truth, that the, the balloon was blown off course and it was strictly for meteorological research. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking it was meant to study weather patterns above nuclear sites. Yeah. <laughs> the might, weather might be different. It's just a coincidence. So that's what they want to do. When I, fir when I first, I don't know about you, when I first heard about this, you know, and the, the pictures are so faint, you know, it's UFO-like, you know. I was thinking, I'm picturing a hot, when they say it was a balloon, I'm picturing like the hot air balloon over the Grand Canyon, you know, with the basket. And and the, and then the with the burner, with, you know, with Xi Jinping in, yeah, in the yeah, basket, in and then you can take pictures from with it, a spyglass. Yeah. They always have a spyglass. You got to have the spyglass, and you can actually control the direction yes. of the balloon. Yes. So this was it's like different. a 1920s set comedy, screwball comedy. That's right. That's right. So and in fact, it's really high tech, but so so much so that I have no idea what it actually looks like if it's Zeppelin like or how big it is. Are we talking about the Hindenburg here? Right. The one thing I did learn is it was around 60,000 to 100,000 feet. It was altitude. very high. So most conventional aircraft, not going to get to it. Well, and the, also, Americans, God bless you, you cannot shoot it out of the air. Although plenty of people... Oh, were, Americans with their guns? You mean bragging, they wanted to shoot right, with their rifles? bragging about, oh. like, I'm going to bring it down. And it's like, well, you're going to have to wait a while till it yeah. gets to much lower airspace. Yeah. It gets high up there. Unless bullets, you have a really, really nice rifle. <laughs> yeah, something really big. Yeah. So... I'm glad they shot it down, obviously. You could make the argument that it's easier to shoot it down over water because then it falls in water and you could scoop it up. But other parts of the Brecon didn't sink. I don't know if we get everything. It, they were worried, of course, about shooting it down in Montana, you know, after it passed Billings because they're worried that, it, you know, it's going to affect approximately 2,000 people. I'm not so sure of that. The one concern... Like, of all the states you could shoot it yeah, down in... in the middle. Kansas. Montana wherever. has not yeah. a huge population. No, no, no. I think Wyoming has a smaller yeah. one. Maybe we could wait for it to get to Wyoming. The, the only concern I imagine they might have is if they shot it down over land, that's a huge search radius for every little bit and piece. Right, right. And I think you'd have a lot of people looking for souvenirs. True. Yeah. True. So I don't know, but I do want to give props to the F-22 Raptor. Yes, well done. Did the job with a Sidewinder missile, apparently, if I can just geek out for a second. Please. You know, in my previous life as a, when I worked for a German defense consultants, I knew <laughs> these things. The F-22 is great. Who's uh, he working for now? now that's yeah, the well, question. That's, it's classified. The F-22 was able to do the job. That was supposed to be the heir apparent to the F-15 as a multi-role mm -hmm. air superiority fighter bomber, right? Because not only could it fly at a very high altitude, but it had full stealth capabilities, and it didn't even have conventional afterburners. It had something called Super Cruise, which I don't even know how that works, but I it mean, has it. It all sounds very cool. It sounds very good. And what did the Defense Department do is they started cutting back. So they were supposed to have like more than 300. They were going to purchase from Lockheed Martin more than 300 of these aircraft. They settled on 187. Okay. And their complaint was, well, we only, we're only buying a few because they're so expensive. But as a friend of mine who worked at Lockheed said, the more you buy, the cheaper it gets. Right, right, right. It's like the less The marginal cost of the super, yes. super, what was it? The, 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 super... the, the, the Raptor? No, what's, what? its, what's its special thing? The afterburner? Oh, Super Cruise. Super, the, the marginal cost of Super Cruise yeah. is, is not right. so big. I think the lesson is, the lesson is always buy bulk. Yeah. You got to buy bulk. Um, well, now that now the F-22 is shooting down balloons. That's what it's used for now, and it's very sad. Because now, you know, they went all in on the F-35, which cannot do this particular job, I think. The question for me to you is why, right? Why would the Chinese be so brazen 
about this. And I'm thinking probing our defenses like aliens. Yeah. Aliens do this before the invasion, right? Well, and that's some of the question, too, is whether some of the UFO sightings that people have seen are actually these kind Them. of surveillance yes. techniques. By the way, this is from Jim Shuto of CNN. Mm-hmm. U.S. officials say they were able to block the balloon from gathering intel during its overflight of the U.S. because it it went all the way across the U.S. from Montana out over North Carolina. While the U.S. military was able to turn the tables, so to speak, to gather intel on the balloon itself and its equipment. This sounds like a bit of... Bit of wishful thinking, like it, it seems a bit far fetched that we were we really had it that under control, seeing as though we didn't know it was there allegedly until yes the Montana the Billings what is it the Billings Gazette reported on it I think was the first sure. information we People had about were spotting it. it like up I, there. I'd like to believe that all this is true, but I'm a little skeptical. The question is, as always, when did the Biden administration know it? Right? What did they know? When did they know it? And our feeling is, of course, they're only they only dealt with it because it was made public. Right. Right. The public discovered it. Had they not, what would they have done? Well, I don't and know. They, and they and and they like to say, well, you know, the previous administration, there was like three other balloons. But now we know that the uh, Trump officials did not know until after the fact. Right. Right. So also what's being reported is that perhaps they knew before we did, they didn't deal with it until after the Billings Gazette. Right. Reported on it. And the reason for that was to preserve the trip for the Secretary of State Blinken to China, which is a not a great reason. It's not, it's no. not a good reason. There's also, you know, part of me wants to be inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt. Oh, this is new to them. They got to figure out how to handle it. This is a very complicated situation with China right now. And we don't want to upset them because of so many other things that are going on at the moment. On the other hand, you think about how they handled Afghanistan. And, of course, we're reassuring us that, that this is all going to be orderly. Everything's going to be fine. And, of course, right. it was a disaster. I think based on the Afghanistan reaction, what you're seeing is yeah. they're handling this well, and in Dem- complete Democrats chaos. In Congress, Democrats in Congress were like, quit freaking out about a balloon, man. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I, I mean, it matters to me. That a spy apparatus is yeah. in the sky over the entirety of the United States, stopping, over, you know, hanging out over very sensitive military installments. Mm-hmm. That that matters to me. And, you know, if you're going to let it spend half a day going through North Carolina, you might as well let yeah. it get some Bojangles because I, I don't <laughs> think it got to pick any up. Yes. That would have been. Now, that is some cultural healing right there. I, you know what? I was going to say two things. One is the Bojangles. And then it actually slowed down in Myrtle Beach because it, was, right. you know, it went to a Hooters. The, I did enjoy, I think there's a, there's one video, let me, we'll find the audio for yeah. that, of some Myrtle Beach denizens exclaiming about how, oh, it's going to go down, it's going down. That's it, exactly. And, you know, and, and, yeah, there's some good video of this, yes. by the way. Here we go. Predictably, the best videos on TikTok, which is very predictable. But it is like, you know, how many more of these indignities should this country suffer? When well, you like, start with COVID. I know. No one's at, COVID. We still haven't done anything about COVID. No. And like, then you, hey, oh, did we send a stern letter about COVID? I don't think, even think no, we've done that. We haven't done that. Try to. We have TikTok, right, which they're using to spy on us. You have fentanyl, 
which is coming through the border, and then you have the spying. Yeah. And they steal all the patents anyway and things like that. I mean, it's just how much and for what? For what? So so that so they can own our debt. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, well, I mean, this is the thing as well because of Biden's connections to uh, China. But then, you know, oh, not only that, but the buying of the farmland. The Chinese oh, yeah. buying farmland outside military bases. This is like the beginning of a movie. I know which movie. Red Dawn? Yeah. yeah. Everybody was revisiting. Yeah. This past yeah, weekend. The original, red, the, the original of the remake, which was supposed to be China, and then they chickened out and made it North Korea. Oh, really? Yeah, it was supposed to be China. Oh, come on. Because, you know, North Korea really has that capability. So <laughs> that, that's all. I think that's all I have. We'll see what happens I by the time we, you listen to this show. I'm sure yes. President There'll Biden There will be more has, balloon I'm discourse. sure President Biden took a strong stand. Yes. By the way, we should note that the State of the Union will happen be- before this podcast comes out. What I do know is about the State of the Union is that we'll have a laundry list of things he would like to do. Many of them will not get done. People will wear boring suits. Asses will be kissed. Hands will be shaken. The end. That's the State of the Union. Yeah. <laughs> That's my preview. Yeah, yeah. Don't hold your breath for anything like sort of mind-blowing. No, no, no. But speaking of authoritarians who we oh, let yeah. run rampant in the U.S., let's go to the campuses. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got a new free speech, worst, worst of the worst mm. in campus free speech. Published by FIRE, which is the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. Yeah, it used to, be, changed. used to be education. But they realized, hey, this fight is everywhere. And mm. they're correct. Right. Uh, it used to be Foundation for the Individual Rights and Education because they were focusing on free speech issues mm-hmm. at the campus level. But now, because our delightful campuses have just sent out their warriors into the world, yeah. <laughs> we must deal with this everywhere. But I wanted to run through a couple of the couple of highlights. I know. My, my alma mater's on there. I man, know. Oh, man. I know. So it's 10 worst colleges for free speech. Let's just a couple of the incidents, because a lot of these sort of get lost. I mean, we don't get to address all of them because no. there's so many of them. That's so right. I feel like and we should. truly outrageous ones. This is number one on the list is Hamline University in St. Paul, Minnesota. Yep. This was just recently. An art history professor is punished. For what? For what, you might ask? In October, adjunct professor Erica Lopez Prater showed a 14th century painting depicting Islam's prophet Muhammad. But not before she off- offered multiple warnings, acknowledged that some Muslims believe the prophet should not be depicted in any way, and told students they weren't required to look. A student nonetheless complained after class. Hamline was quick to announce to the entire university com- community that Lopez Prater's actions were, quote, undeniably inconsiderate, disrespectful, and Islamophobic. The woman is teaching an art history class, and she's not allowed to show art. Hamline was like pushed on this by all of the free speech mm-hmm. entities. Nonetheless, the president tripled down, claiming that academic freedom does not operate in a vacuum and is subject to the dictates of society. I'm still well waiting. done, guys. By the way, I'm still waiting for the conflict on the left and among progressives when it comes to, you know, being very careful in dealing with Islam and then trying to reconcile Islam's position on things like homosexuality. Yeah, no, we don't really get to that part of the yeah, discussion. Yeah, I ever. think they don't want to get to this part of the conversation, that, that discussion. Whenever I hear this, and you, I know you have a list of others, the thing that will keep on popping up is just, for me at least, fear and cowardice of the administrators. Yes. And it's all administrators. There are more administrators and faculty in many of these schools now. Well, it's embarrassing. As many they, as students. They, they jump to affirm the anti-free speech position. They're like, oh, yeah. no, no, this is definitely Islamophobic and out of line. Yeah. Oh, for, yeah. oh, for sure. Yeah. 
Let us drag her name through the mud. Penn State University on t- October 24th, Uncensored America was set to host Proud Boys founder Gavin McInnes and conservative comedian Alex Stein for a com- comedy show on campus. A planned protest formed outside the venue, but amid reports that a few in the crowd of hundreds were involved in skirmishes, Penn State canceled the event before it even began. The university also told protesters to disperse, citing, quote, the threat of escalating violence. So you can neither protest the event nor have the event on Penn State's campus. Critically, the two violent incidents, one involving spitting, another pepper spray, were caught on video showing police standing by doing nothing while students and a speaker were assaulted. Oops. That's not how that's supposed to go down. That that, that hasn't happened to you yet, has it? (laughs) I need to I need to try harder. You want really. you want it. You're hoping you're uh, hoping for a ruckus. You know, it did. It did happen to Guy Benson, who was labeled a white supremacist and dangerous for his views when he went to Brown University. And he wrote about it for The Wall Street Journal. What are these kids? They made him right. They made Guy Benson speak from an undisclosed location. Or no, they, they had a contingency plan to make him speak from an undisclosed location if things went badly. He had an escape route mapped out for him. He had extra security. And by the way, each is, every time this happens, conservative groups who invite conservative speakers, who are inevitably the ones who face these kind of issues, their speech is literally less free because they have to pay for security for the people they're inviting. And often yeah. the university is not right. doing that. So, this happened to Charles Murray. Yeah. Undisclosed so, location. So Guy had to be, he had a whole escape plan. And in the end, it was so silly because what yeah. happened was Guy spoke People came to stand silently and protest him. A couple turned their backs on him or filmed themselves walking out of the yeah. or, or the area. And then several Black Lives Matter activists, wait for it, asked him questions. <laughs> and then he answered them. And they engaged in a discussion. And it was crazy, y'all. <laughs> that is, that's how it's supposed to work, everybody, just in case we've forgotten. Let's see. Which one is this? This is Collin College in McKinney, Texas. Allegedly, the, the they call it the capital of censorship in Texas. Wow. <laughs> two, at least two uh, members of the faculty who criticized the college's handling of COVID-19 were fired or disciplined. I think three fired or disciplined for tweets discussing COVID-19 protocols at the school. And another one was Michael Phillips was fired, a history professor, for advocating for the removal of Confederate statues and criticizing the college's COVID-19 policies. So just hitting all sides. So, yeah, I was going to say. All hitting, ideological sides here. And this is the interesting thing about fire now. They seem to be wanting to take on the mantle of what the ACLU was you know, originally the, the meant The ACLU to do. has left a vacuum. Yeah, because, yeah. because the ACLU is now siding with you know people who are pro-lockdown and pro-mandates and things like that against everyone who wants to sort of, yep. you know do their own thing. And then did you want to talk about Georgetown? Yes. So Georgetown, Georgetown wins the the big winner. Georgetown wins the, what do they call it? Lifetime achievement. Lifetime censorship award 2023 to Georgetown university. Of course, the most recent incident that Georgetown's in trouble for is that they, they put on hold the hiring of Ilya Shapiro Shapiro, as a law, as a law professor for a tweet about about one of the SCOTUS nominees. Mm -hmm. And then they said they were going to investigate that. And then it took them- Investigate what? Investigate the 45-word tweet. That took them, what, some 12 weeks or something? While while he's hanging in the balance, they ended up clearing him of wrongdoing after his one tweet. And he decided he didn't want that job because they made clear in clearing him 
that they would not be standing up for yeah. speech and that he would be yeah. not also, treated well. And yeah, exactly. And one false move. Yes. And he's out of there. Also, I didn't remember this, but Georgetown stopped students from tabling for Bernie Sanders' 2016 presidential campaign. That sounds like a college Republican conspiracy, like a prank. <laughs> what? How did that I happen? Don't, I don't know. And there's also, they, they, they prevented some other LGBTQ event as well. Georgetown is an interesting situation because on the one hand, you, you, as you point out, the Ilya Shapiro thing is much, you know, for people on the right, this was a big outrage and good for Ilya Shapiro to just say, no, thanks. I don't need this garbage. On the other hand, they have to deal with um, Georgetown being a, a Catholic university, the oldest Catholic university in America, right. <laughs> quote unquote Catholic, that they have to deal with things that go against the charter or things that go against the faith. Right. And so they were like, well, you know, with the LGBTQ event, you know, they, you know, they, they deserve funding and they would, pro- Fire would probably also defend, you know, Hoyas for Choice, which I think was also mentioned yes. in, in, the, in the same story. Because, you know, they do provide university funding for, you know, Islamic and Jewish student groups. But the church has always been sort of, at least since like Vatican II, very into interfaith dialogue. Right. They're fine. Everything's fine with that. That's great. But things that go directly against sort of like core tenets, like, I don't know, abortion, I think it's an entirely different thing. So right. I don't know. I get it. But they do drive me nuts. And here's the thing about Georgetown is they've always been struggling with sort of the the secular issue. Yeah. And as the late professor Alvaro Ribeiro, who married me and Kate, once said, Georgetown has to decide, does it want to be Holy Cross on the Potomac or Harvard on the Potomac? Mm-hmm. I don't think you could do, it's hard to reconcile. It's it's try, attempting to walk the line yeah. right now. Yeah. By the way, I taught about freedom of speech. At my school. At Georgetown. Uh, in they don't 20, want me. In 2020, apparently I didn't teach well enough. <laughs> They gotta have That's, you back. It's a mark against me, they you know. Have, yeah. And my and bring me skill. along. I can be your TA. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, I did want to highlight one more, which is at Emerson in Boston, Massachusetts, Ooh. Turning Point USA, which is a young person's right-leaning group, has been under fire for a long time there, and like losing its sponsorships and under under a critical eye that no other groups are getting. College administrators, this is my favorite one, denied TPUSA's request to screen a CBS News documentary about free speech on campus because of alleged factual inaccuracies in the promotional material. So you can't... From CBS. Yeah, you can't have a CBS free speech documentary on campus because TPUSA is icky, according to Emerson. It's beyond parody. (laughs) Beyond parody. The universities are doing great, including Georgetown. Hey, what's up, Georgetown? We can see them from here. Uh, You know, I was going to say, you know know what Georgetown is not? It is not Purdue on the Potomac. And I'll tell you, it is their basketball program. It's just atrocious. You know... Isn't, gosh, why am I going to blank on his name? Patrick Ewing. Patrick Ewing's the coach, isn't he? Yeah, and so far in conference, I think they're like 1-12, in 1-13. He's won like one game in the last, I don't know, 20-30 game. I mean, he's it's yeah, really it's bad. it's not good. He, he has won one this season against an actual team. Oh, my goodness. Well, And they keep him on, but it's, there's, it has to do with the, the Thompson family and all sorts of things, Ronnie Thompson in the wings and everything else. By and the way. It's complicated. It's when, I was, complicated. when I was a kid, I was a, hu- I was a huge Duke basketball fan because I grew up in Durham, North Carolina, and yeah. everybody always asks, like, are, are you just a bandwagoner? No, I lived in Durham, North Carolina. I was born, or not born there, but I was raised there before Duke was a powerhouse. And then Coach K came in and, yeah. and built it into this amazing team. And so I watched that team become a thing. And at that time, 
occasionally a rivalry oh. with Georgetown. I don't watch a ton. 2005 or yeah. six, yeah. I don't watch a ton of basketball anymore just because uh, the thing is, basketball requires you to watch like three or four times a week, whereas football requires once a week. <laughs> It's true. So, it's usually like there's there's the Saturday game and then it's like, you know, Monday, Wednesday or Thursday. Yes, it's know, a lot. Yeah. So I and also the the players leave so quickly for the pros that I can't get attached to anyone That's anymore. That's also disappointing. How, speaking but one who's definitely going to leave for the pros. This I watched the Duke UNC game this week cuz that's the one that I always turn in tune into as the great rivalry. Derek Lively who's a freshman at Duke, 7 foot 1, 8 blocks and double digits. I believe scoring eight yeah. blocks. I mean, you're seven one, so like that's not fair. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it was Matumbo. It was cool to see yeah. a performance like that when I tuned in for the you know one time per season. So. It's hard. I mean, you know, I until Allen Iverson at Georgetown, all the kids went through four years and graduated, yeah. including Patrick Ewing and Lonzo Mourning. But That's true. there is so much pressure now because there's millions of dollars at well, stake. And, I and God get forbid it. you I would break an ankle, play. you hurt your Achilles, that's your a, that's ACL what I'm saying. or something. I would leave and play. You know? I'd be like, no, I got to go make and some money. Got, this is yeah, crazy. And they got family members. He, you know, I remember Iverson talking about his mother and how, you know, I mean, and, you know, they don't come from, you know, rich, a lot of them don't come from rich backgrounds. So it makes a huge difference. And God forbid something happens to you between your yeah, junior and Yeah, I can get a degree year. later, my friend. Some of them have. I'm I believe, only yeah. 19 for a while. That's right. That's right. I think there were a couple of players from Georgetown that did that as well. Which All is right. Great. A little. It was, it's just a, a, a side side story yeah. on basketball. Sorry, but we, we did. You know what you're required to do on college campuses? Wear a mask. Oh, come on. Let's talk about masks. Yeah. Oh, we got mask stories. This is from the Free Beacon. This study could be the scientific nail in the coffin for masks. One of the largest and most comprehensive studies on the effectiveness of masks found they do almost nothing to reduce the spread of respiratory viruses. The study reviewed 78 randomized control trials experiments that have long been considered the gold standard for medicine, which assessed the effectiveness of face masks against flu, COVID-19, and similar illnesses. It found that wearing masks, quote, probably makes little or no difference for the general public, no matter what kind of mask is used. Even N95 masks, considered the most effective at filtering airborne particles, showed no clear benefit for healthcare workers. This is an update to a 2020 study of the same kind by Cochrane, which is sort of a famed group that does this. Yep. And the reviewer's name is Jefferson something. Anyway, he's very respected. Right. And so this is a an update of that. It included more COVID-specific studies to randomized controlled trials, which is all that exists during the COVID period of masking, and found that, like, look, there's just not evidence right. for this. And oh, the cope from the masking, <laughs> the masking folks is it's it's very serious. I was going to say I'm surprised you wanted to talk about this, Mary Catherine, because I figured by now the rest of the media has so well covered this breaking oh, yeah. news <laughs> and saying, well, case closed now. Everyone can take off the mask. It's fine right, now. Right. Well, here's here's the thing about the masks, is, and this is what got inverted during the pandemic. If in a free society you want to mandate a behavior or whatever it is, for everyone in a free society and use the the force of government to do so, you should have some pretty good evidence that that thing will work, mm-hmm. not the other way around, which is we have to prove to you that it doesn't work. And it got flipped on its head during the it pandemic did. for school closures, for masks. 
and we're forced and frankly for the for the vaccine for certain ages of people as well right and we're forcing people to do things that we don't have a lot of evidence for when it should have been no 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 you give us the goods before we agree to be oppressed in this manner <laughs> and it really worked on a lot of people who now are still to this day convinced that everywhere they go even when they're outside they need to have their mask on and it's, just, it's not helping you it, it's I, not, went to, I went to the pediatrician yesterday yeah. and they, they thankfully don't make me put one oh, for on the newborn however when the 15 month old hits two years She's going to have to wear one. In the doctor's office. I got to start writing to the office on that and just just start bugging them once every couple of weeks. Like, hey, I don't know if you saw the Cochrane Review, but my nine-year-old's flimsy hanging off her face surgical mask for an adult is not actually helping anyone in this scenario. And I would like if my children could see the faces of their doctors before they move on to an adult doctor from the pediatrician. Like, yeah. I, several of my kids are not going to see a doctor's face. I'm, that's true, actually, although I'm very happy. I'm, I've mentioned this before. My oral surgeon, now that I'm becoming a regular at oral surgery, yes. they were one of the first ones I went to. I think it was the first doctor's office where nobody was in masks. No, I think... Uh, including some, in the waiting room with patients. No, my dentist is, is cool with it because they're like, they're already working yeah. in my mouth. I mean, it's like, it's so silly. Yeah, you're going to take it off anyway. <laughs> yes. I'm going to play a little bit of Prasad, yes. who is a public health guy, an MD, who's been a little like heterodox on these issues and stood up for school openings right. and said, hey, we need more evidence for children being vaccinated. This doesn't make any sense, particularly college-age students being boosted. Like, what what are we doing here? So I appreciate his voice. He's also very clear about explaining these things sometimes. So let me run a little bit of this. Our analysis suggests wearing a medical or surgical mask probably makes little or no difference compared to not wearing a mask for the outcome of laboratory-confirmed influenza or laboratory-confirmed SARS-CoV-2. Boom. There you have it. This is the reality. This is what the evidence always showed. The reason we even think otherwise is because there are vocal proponents who don't really know evidence-based medicine. One of these proponents actually put out a color-coded chart of risk. Prasad is going to tell us one of the problems here is that we don't have a lot of random controlled trials on masks during the period of COVID. Now, the argument from the Cochrane folks and... I think an accurate one is that flu is similar. And yeah. so we can draw conclusions from that because it's a respiratory disease. There are only two randomized control trials, even though they were trying to mask everyone. It seems like there would have been a lot of opportunity to yeah. do RCTs with populations all over the place. And yet they didn't do it. He speaks a little bit about that. The real world. I mean, we don't have a randomized trial that advises individuals to wearing a cluster or wearing a N95 mask in the community are not measuring their rates of COVID-19. We don't have that study. That's a deficiency. That's the failure of NIAID director. And who is the NIAID director who controls the research budget for randomized controlled trials of things like this? And it is Anthony Fauci. My God, the guy who's on TV lying about it won't even run a trial. I mean, these are, this is a real thing. And for me, who's not, I'm not like super hung up on masks. I never was. But... In a free society, if you've gone three years of forcing people to do yeah. this and attempting to force people to do this, and as the lead scientist in charge of figuring out whether these sciencey things work, you have chosen not to study it, that's on you, man. Yeah. We got to move on. Were you surprised when I looked at that video, the number of replies that were so enraged well, the, by Vinay Prasad? This is the thing. It's become so... 
it's become so tribal and so political that to let go of it. I, I also think with all these things, just like the school closings, there's a sunk cost problem here yeah. where people's reputations and lives are on the line or like their lives were disrupted for a long time in devotion to these things. And they can't sort of admit that it was for nothing because that would feel really bad. But we got to admit because we can't do it again. They You got to admit, but they will not admit. I, that's the thing when you know the media latches onto a narrative and if it turns out to be false they're just loath to say actually we're wrong and kudos to those who do by the way but by and large they're just going to still go along and tell you things whatever it is and even if it doesn't make any sense they'll remind you to get your you know fifth sixth shot and mask and everything else i i'd like i'd love to get to a point where we can look back and acknowledge that many of these things and i think about it now and it's hard to believe the insanity of some of the practices. I think about walking into a restaurant and you have to have your mask on until they seat you at your table, which is about 10 feet away, and then you could take it off and then eat for the next two hours. Again, and it's like, that's silly on its face. And the people who support it will tell you with a straight face that you're the one who doesn't understand science. Yeah, no, that's right. Or in Washington, D.C., and I talk about this all the time, but in Washington, D.C., they had the rule thankfully no longer in effect, that after 10 p.m., you have to remove alcohol from the table. That was a fun one. You know, and it's like 9.50, they, you know, the the waiters would go around, you know, and say, you know, okay, I hate to tell you this, you're going to have to finish that bottle of wine soon because, you know, 10.01 and 10.02, inspector comes in looking to start issuing issuing fines. The author of this study, Tom, his name is Tom Jefferson. I was questioning myself because I was like, it's a little on the nose. (laughs) But Tom Jefferson says on the, on the, idea of uh, RCTs and and how you would have done those. He said, all you needed was for World Health Organization officials to declare it's a pandemic and they could have randomized half of the United Kingdom or half of Italy to masks and the other half to no masks, but they didn't. Instead, they ran around like headless chickens. And this is is from a guy who did the review in 2020, knew what all the evidence was then, then, and I'm sure has been pulling his hair out for three years. Like, why is no one listening to this evidence? He also decries overnight experts on things like masking. He's like, I'm a guy who looks at the data. You've got all these people on Twitter who are n- not, not that. He also decries the Swiss cheese model and says, you know, great for eating, but maybe not so much for, for controlling respiratory yeah. viruses. He's like, That's there's right. just not evidence that these things work. It's sort of intuitive that if you put a bunch of layers in place, then perhaps that will help. But he's like, we don't actually have that information. And I'm into the data. He also says, by the way, that his 2020 review was held up by Cochran for several months and needed an extra peer review, whereas ones that Interesting. had a different conclusion were published. Mm. And by the way, we got through this winter when everyone was bracing for a huge COVID surge. Do you remember this? Everyone was saying it was going to come back. I don't know. The end is nigh. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I'll give you the quote. It's complex and all journalists want 40 years of experience condensed into two sentences. You can quote the Swiss cheese model, but there's no evidence that many of these things make any difference. Yeah. So how'd you enjoy your last three years? Sorry. Except nobody's saying sorry. No. And, 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 and we, you know, people, tr- we try to sometimes forget because we want to move on, obviously, with our lives. But every now and then you stop and think about everything that was happening at that time. Speaking of magical so, thinking. Oh, Yeah. Let's talk about Harry Potter. Yeah, this is crazy. Okay, this this truly is crazy. Again, one of these things where the crazy gets exported to the rest of the world. 
And so you have to pay attention to the crazy, yeah. even if it's in small communities right. of people. Like when it was on campuses, the woke stuff was like, oh, I'm sure they'll hit the real world and then they'll figure things out. No, no, no. They're just going to populate the real yeah. world they are now, with these ideas. That's right. They are now the real world and yes. we're the ones who are considered crazy. <laughs> that's exactly so, right. What's happening is there's a new video game out. And let me tell you, I I spent about an hour watching someone stream playing this game last night. That's how much this controversy is not hurting the game because I'm not a gamer at all. But my husband will watch streamers and the kids were interested in this Harry Potter game. So there's a new- Watching other people play video games. I know it sounds crazy, but a lot of people make a lot of money doing this. That's insane. So- My, my buddy George used to do this in his basement when we were in high school. Uh, you, you gotta watch me play this game. Oh, okay. When do I, I play? Yeah, I, I had several love interests in high school that I watched play like James Bond in high school. Oh. <laughs> okay, our it's like, oh, this is great. <laughs> you remember? Well, yeah, was it Goldeneye? Was Goldeneye. Goldeneye the was, game, that, that was, was it a video game? It was Goldeneye. A, it was a first-person shooter that was like kind of revolutionary so, at the time. Kate and also my colleague and my boss Eliana Johnson have both said that there is nothing less sexy than watching a guy play video games. You can't subject yourself to that, to la ladies. Let me let me just say. Now, I say this having just admitted that I watched a stranger on the internet play yeah, a game last night. You were doing night. research. It was research. But I'm married with four children, mm -hmm. okay? And this was research. Yes. In your, in your prime years, you can't sit next to a guy and watch him play video games for prime, more than 30 years. minutes at a time. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta cut bait. You gotta move on. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So... I, I learned the hard way. Okay. I watched a lot of GoldenEye. Okay, What's the point is, again? the point is, what is this there's game? a Harry Potter game. It's Harry, Harry Potter game called Hog, Hogwarts Legacy uh -huh. that has been released. It's a role-playing game. It's very intricate. It's been highly anticipated, but also hotly debated. Why? Because the writer of the Harry Potter series, J.K. Rowling, has taken a position on Twitter, in public, in, in her public statements, men are men and women are women and that trans women and trans men are something different and that Shocking. women's and that women's spaces including prisons should yeah. be preserved for the safety of women and that she's not going to sort of fold to all of the gender ideology that's her position and she's uh fiery about it although you realize like 10 or 15 years ago that position would be like yeah so right and <laughs> yes which is which is why you know J.K. Rowling is a gajillionaire because her wonderful books sold all of their many many copies and made mm -hmm. many many fans who are now very conflicted by the fact that she has <gasps> views that don't align with theirs. Which is by the way something if if you're a conservative you deal with with artists all, all the, time. the time. This is just not an issue so much. Anyway, so what's going on now is that this this game was released and all all the game review sites are having a freak out and having to explain themselves about why they're reviewing the what? Harry Potter game because it's so tainted by J.K. Rowling that they must so they have, have a position. They have this. to preface the review with, yes. wait, before you attack me, let me just say. So uh, what is the name of the site? IGN, I believe, is mm -hmm. the name of the site. Sure. Had this appended, is that the right word? Sure. Yeah, to its review concerning J.K. Rowling. The elephant in the room with Hogwarts Legacy is Harry Potter's creator, J.K. Rowling, whose comments about transgender people in recent years left a sour taste in the mouths of many current and former Potter fans, both at IGN and in the world at large. This has driven some to call for a boycott of the Wizarding World altogether, including Hogwarts Legacy. 
Though Rowling was not directly involved, and there are good reasons, both in-game and out, to believe the developers at Avalanche don't necessarily share her views. Who cares? Regardless, IGN has always and will continue to champion human rights causes and support people speaking with their wallets in whatever manner they choose. Oh, well, thank goodness, because I was worried that the video yeah. game review site was not going to be concerned enough about human rights for my taste. As I need critics, to, I need to make sure the video game review site has the same opinions and beliefs that I do. Yes. As critics, our yeah. job is to answer the question of whether or not we find Hogwarts Legacy to be fun to play and why. I'm so glad they're explaining this. Whether it's ethical to play is a separate but still very oh, important question. For goodness sakes. So just as in virtually all cases we're choosing to expose and address the views of the franchise creators separately from our consideration of the work of the hundreds of game developers and evaluate Hogwarts Legacy as it stands, leaving behind the scenes context to be considered in addition to that evaluation rather than in place of it so that it can be weighted according to your own values. Okay, look, I think it's worth two stories on IGN probably about the uproar about Hogwarts uh-huh. and the review, right? The fact that they have to put this disclaimer is just ridiculous and you shouldn't you shouldn't yield to these folks. Like they're they're going to yell at you no matter what you do. It's never enough. And it's enough. a small group it's of people. It's never enough. By the now, way, how the- many people are actually upset about like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe they reviewed this game and liked it." So few. <laughs> By the way, Travis Northup, who's it's a cowardice. pretty pretty famous reviewer of such things, is the guy who wrote this. Appreciate that he did because I'm sure there are people who are shying away and not writing reviews because they're afraid people will yell at them on the internet. His verdict in nearly every way, Hogwarts Legacy is the Harry Potter role-player game I've always wanted to play. Its open-world adventure captures all the excitement and wondering of the Wizarding World with its memorable new characters, challenging and nuanced combat, and a wonderfully executed Hogwarts student fantasy that kept me glued to my controller for dozens of hours. This is part of the problem. The world that Rowling built is really cool. People really love it. And because they're of the left, they're having real problems reconciling that they can love this thing yeah. and not agree with the creator. And so all the gaming sites are like, hemming and hawing and trying to figure out what they do because the game's really good. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine having to play this game but feel terrible about it and then it's so <laughs> addictive that you can't leave to get your meal so you have to call Chick-fil-A to bring your food right. and then you've got the Chick-fil-A and the Hogwarts legacy and you're just like miserable. What you actually do is you need, if yeah. you if you are to play this, you need a cat of nine tails at yeah. your house yeah, just and then you self-flagellate <laughs> and then you can get a pass for having done it. Yeah. Okay. I also want to just quote yeah. briefly. I think in the case of that review, which was very positive, that probably the editors put that note in and it didn't seem to come from the author himself here's one where the author herself is conflicted okay (laughs) this is good stuff five days ago a review code for hogwarts legacy landed in my inbox i've been thinking about this moment for more than a year ever since the backlash against the game started gaining traction online the author of the harry potter novels is transphobic and she's targeted transgender women in particular For this reason, some people in the LGBTQ community and allies beyond have decided to boycott Hogwarts Legacy and admonish anyone who chooses to play or stream it themselves, sparking explosive arguments across social media, Twitch, and YouTube. Those in favor of the boycott argue that playing the game benefits the author financially and indicates support for her beliefs. On the flip side, potential players point out that the author wasn't involved in the creation of Hogwarts Legacy and her status as the world's richest author won't change regardless of the game's success. Also, they really want to play it. I fall into the second category. 
I'm currently about 15 hours into Hogwarts Legacy, and I'm just barely scratching the surface. I'm having an incredible time. This feels like the RPG that Harry Potter fans have been waiting for, rich and alive and absolutely packed with magic. It's slightly frightening to write that down, knowing the condemnation I could receive. Get a grip, people. Get a grip. You have Get let, a life. You have let people who are hysterical take over. Yeah. Don't let them do it. And by the way, this game is going to sell so well and people are because. going to love it so much yeah. and they do not care yeah. about this other controversy. Yeah. It makes you want to play now That's what I'm when saying. you hear about it. I watched Twitch for More 45 publicity. minutes last night. <laughs> but don't do it, ladies. Not in your prime. I'm old. It's over for me. Let me say this. I don't think it's my cup of tea to play this game. But if I did, I'd be Hermione. Okay. <laughs> I do, do what? I call out. I do have a call out. Wait, wait. I, can okay, I, please, wait, I, please, I do want to yeah, clarify one please. thing. I just want to note that there was an LGBTQ columnist and writer, E.J. Rosetta, who was tasked with investigating J.K. Rowling's posts by, I believe, Huff, Huffington Post to see, like, to write about her transphobia and went through all of them and is actually like, Groupthink led me to believe that these were really transphobic, but in fact, they are not. It says, three months ago, I was tasked with writing an article detailing 20 transphobic J.K. Rowling quotes we're done with. After 12 weeks of reading her books, tweets, full essay, and finding the context of these quotes, I've, found, I've not found a single truly transphobic message Rosetta wrote to kick off a lengthy Twitter thread that went viral. So there are, it's debatable, guys. It's what, debatable. They're, what they're saying, you know what, I mean, what, what they're say, saying is, what they consider to be egregious and unacceptable is simply something they disagree with. Correct. Which is not the same. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure they all went to college and were treated just like this. The Hamline or Georgetown. Okay. I, I do have a call out. Okay. So we were talking about earlier on the show, VicFest started, kicked off on February 2 when my friends and diehard hammerheads, Sue and Rich Covey, came down from Jersey nice. and cooked dinner for the whole family. Love it. You know what they had? Mushroom caps stuffed with lump crab meat as an appetizer, which so it, it exploded. It was like juice all over. Okay. And then twice baked potatoes and fillets wrapped in bacon. It was really nice. It was, I provided the, I provided the drinks, broke out the good stuff good, and good. made various cocktails. It was like meals on wheels, <laughs> but better. Okay. I'm glad they're coming to you now. Yeah, they Support. are. They, I need it now. Yeah. By the way, it's not for many years you're going to have to worry about this. When you do, do turn 50, you start getting those AARP letters now. I've heard. Yeah. I've heard that happens. I've heard it happens as early as 45. Yeah. Okay. That wraps up another edition of Getting Hammered. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can follow me on Twitter at Victory Mattis. I am MK Hammer. Please follow me on Twitter or at Instagram at MK Hammer Time. And I want to say that later this week, we're going to... St- discuss New York Magazine's The Cuts. Oh, Do yeah. you know how to behave? Are you sure? How to text, tip, ghost, host, and generally exist in polite society today. It is a an article that is much talked about, much debated, that has many, many rules for modern etiquette. And I'm wondering if our listeners have any from the list that we should bat around, that we should discuss. You can email us at hammered at nebulouspodcasts.com or you can tweet us about it because i would love to hear from you guys this has been a nebulous media podcast thank you for getting hammered with us responsibly